Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Thursday morning, the 25th of October, with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The closure of buildings constructed recently at three schools could lead to the closure of up to 42 schools. The solution for housing the pupils and their teachers elsewhere is not obvious. The Taoiseach said yesterday he'd heard people say sports halls could be used to rehouse these schools, but Leo Vratker was very dismissive of that idea saying he doesn't know of any such halls that could accommodate up to 25 classrooms. Multiply that by 42 and you've an idea of the scale of this potential disaster. Nobody wants this, but nobody wants the walls of a school falling in on its pupils or their teachers either. All of the schools in question were built by Western Building Systems in the last 10 years. As we discussed yesterday, five of the schools in question are in County Meath, that's St Paul's National School in Rathoth, the Gale Skull in Dunboyne, the Gale Skull in Ashburn, Cloucester de Lacey in Ashburn and the Educate Together National School in Ashburn. Alan Tobin is a member of uh, the Board of Management of the Educate Together School in Ashburn and uh, a local Fine Gael councillor. He's on the line. Good morning and thanks for joining us. I'm sure uh, there was a, a lot of concern yesterday at the news that there's an 80% chance at one of the schools that is being closed that the walls uh, could have fallen, albeit outwards, in the event of a, a storm. Good morning, Michael. Good morning to your, your listeners. Um, yeah, I suppose that when we heard about uh, the various different schools around the place, I, I suppose shock was the first uh, reaction and then uh, of course people who have their kids in those schools have the genuine concerns wondering if um, our schools were, were within that so just to give you a bit of background we have three schools on a school campus a fabulous school campus that was built uh, and completed in November 2016 uh, we've got a secondary school and basically two feeder schools the Ashburn Educate Together and the Gale School to me they feed into uh, the Colosh to the Lacey School uh, on an 11 hectare site uh, that we have there. Um, the, what I'm hoping is that the schools were built uh, when this, the, the certification, I suppose, was stricter. The building regs were stricter. So um, the building control regs came in around 2013. <clears throat> uh, the school planning permission was given in 2014, late 2014, and obviously it was part of the rapid build uh, program that, that, that came in. Mm. Western got the contract. I, w- I visited the school, uh, bo- all the schools on a, c- a couple of occasions during the build to see what was going on, how it looked and everything else. And I remember the, 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 the chap that was overseeing the whole project, very, very positive guy, 
loved showing off what was going on in the school. And um, as I say, I'm just hoping that uh, these are uh, within the new regs. And that if they are within the new regs, that means basically that there is a, an assigned certified engineer, I would presume. All right. well, well, all of these uh, schools in question were built in uh, the last 10 years. So I suppose nothing is certain uh, yeah. at this stage. And all of these schools look brilliant aesthetically uh, but the problem lies within the walls it, it, it seems and people will remember the closure of uh, the school in North County Dublin because of the fire concerns that prompted fire inspections in many of uh, the schools uh, that were constructed by Western Buildings and I take it that the three schools in Ashburn were part of that inspection as well. They were indeed and I know as, as I've said or as you've said I'm on the board of the Educate Together in the Educate Together there were some uh, minor fire uh, defects and, and they they were repaired. I mean, it was to do with the doors not closing properly, mm. you know, the, the things like this. And they did at that stage take away some of the walls to look at what was behind them. And I know that they were happy enough with those. Now, at the time, um, I think that was summer last year, uh, I had been conducting some interviews with uh, the principal from Tyrrellstown. And I know in Tyrrellstown, they were they were concerned about various different bits and pieces in there. But in Tyrrellstown, they, they, they did effectively replace all of the doors and other bits and pieces around the doors and things like that. Mm-hmm. So um, th- th- there was there was a genuine concern with Tyrrellstown back then. Um, as I say, just, just what's going to happen next, uh, there's going to be a schedule of, of assessments. Um, we haven't been told yes, when that's going to happen. And I believe that there is uh, experts coming in from London due mm. to the size, you know, the scale of it, 42 schools, and that yeah. they're going to try and come in over. It's a massive problem, and it's a technical problem for that matter. Uh, and I'm not a builder and don't have a, a very good understanding of these things. But as I understand it, the problem in Ardgillen, which is uh, the first of the schools uh, to have been discovered to have these construction problems, was in the process of being fixed for the fire, has pro- fire hazard problems. Uh, remediation works were taking yeah, place yeah. Uh, and they realised, I, I don't know what you would call the rods that connect the outer wall to the inner walls, but that they weren't in place. And this has led to this situation that the walls might fall down. Uh, and that is the concern that people have and it won't be known until they have a look between the two walls. Exactly. And the, 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 I suppose the big thing then is if we did have a problem like Art Gillen in Ashburn, we don't have anywhere to house these these classrooms. I, I mean, mm. you're, you're talking about in or around a thousand uh, pupils between the three schools at the moment um, at full capacity. And the, the, the Colossal de Lacey is actually supposed to be getting extended very, very soon. The planning permission has gone through for that uh, a good while ago now. Uh, at its peak, these schools will have two and a half thousand uh, pupils passing through it. Um, but as I say, at the moment, we've got about, about a thousand. Now, we do have, I suppose, some retail space uh, empty and things like that, but they're, they're nowhere near uh, being able to be facilitated for, for, for school places or anything like that. So yeah. if this, do, if, if the worst case scenario yeah. does uh, transpire here in Ashburn, we're going to be in serious, serious trouble. You're talking about a disaster. Uh, I mean, there's no other Absolutely. way of putting it. Yeah, a complete, yeah. Uh, complete another disaster. And that's worst case scenario, and we don't mean to scaremonger, uh, but uh, it's, it's actually only the second worst case scenario, because the worst case scenario is uh, that this is not discovered and the walls fall down when people are in the building. Exactly. So, look, as I said, we're hoping that because the, 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 it's one of the later bills, we'd say, uh, uh, you know, the other bills were 2009, because mm. this is one of the later bills, we're hoping 
we are hoping that this is going to be within the stricter regulations mm. and that these shortcuts or whatever they were that were taken or, or whoever mm. missed whatever way, way it happened, that this uh, uh, basically doesn't happen here in Ashburn. So this next week or 10 days um, will be on tender hooks, I have to say, uh, while these guys are in inspecting the buildings. And, you know, we need the schools to be safe for the kids. And, yep. um that's the bottom line. Uh, if uh, people are, are considering their options, uh, should one of the options be keeping the children home? I don't think that that's necessary for now. Uh, they're, 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 they're finishing up on Friday anyway. Yeah. They're going to be gone for a week or, or, or uh, for, for the Halloween break. People might say um, that's more to the point. Keep them off for a couple of days now uh, and hopefully uh, the testing will be done by the time they come back. Yeah, and hopefully we'll have the green light as well. But yeah, I don't well, hopefully so. I, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't think we should we should get you know really really concerned about it yet. Let's see what happens. This is a precautionary measure. We found the couple of schools with the defects, and what we've what what has happened effectively is that the Department of Education has said we're going to check all of those schools. Uh, so we're we're not saying that it has a defect, but we're saying we're going to check these out because we want to make sure that they're all safe. Right. Is the board of management, uh, the school management, uh, preparing for worst case scenario if the building is uh, defective? Uh, because as you say, there's no obvious place to rehouse the school. Uh, but are, are you looking at alternatives now? We're meeting tonight. Uh, it just happens that our meeting is scheduled tonight anyway. And uh, once that we we have that meeting, we will be discussing. I. I would uh, assume the options that we would have open to us, if there are any options at all, and that, mm. that's what I'm saying to you. That, like, we, we, it would be remiss of me, I suppose, not to mention this. We have a schools crisis in Ashburn, a schools place crisis in Ashburn, where we're building houses, an awful lot of houses, and we have no places for the kids to go. I have a, a, a person who's contacted me there. They've come over from the south side of Dublin. They've moved to Ashburn. They've got a child who wants to go into third class. There is no place for that child. And... Um, so, so the other schools, in other words, the, the other three primary schools in Ashburn, even they can't facilitate, you know, an extra classroom here, there, or, or whatever to try and help out uh, the schools. The other um, secondary school in Ashburn, the Ashburn Community School, has 1,100 students in it, and that's at maximum capacity as well. So the contingency plan, look, at it, 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 we, we, we'll talk about it. We'll see, is there options? Is there anything that we can do? I suppose there are a couple of sports halls around the place, but sports halls are no place mm. to... Yeah, try to educate kids. No, and that's what the Taoiseach said yesterday, uh, and not the amount, uh, clearly in Ashburn, but uh, across uh, the country, as he put it yesterday, how can you fit 25 classrooms into a, a sports hall? Uh, and uh, without meaning to scaremonger, as I say, uh, and hopefully giving you the chance to give people peace of mind. But uh, I'm sure you can understand that people are listening to you this morning telling us that uh, the Board of Management is looking at contingency plans in case the building falls down. Uh, well, then, why should they be sending their children to the school in case the building falls down? It's it, look, we have to wait to see. As I said, it's a, it's, it's a precautionary measure from the Department of Education. It's not saying that every one of these schools has this problem. It's saying that we've discovered two of these schools with the problem. There, they were the earlier bills. They were within the older, uh, less strict uh, building regulations, the the, the the building control regulations. Um, so, as I say, we need to see what happens here within the next week or 10 days, and we need to see if there is a problem or not. In the meantime, we have to continue with the kids' education and everything else until we actually know 
what's behind those walls or how structurally sound that building is. Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment and please keep in touch if you would. Alan Tobin is a a member of uh, the Board of Management at the Ashburn Educate Together School and a local Fine Gael councillor. Now, the Daily Star is reporting today of a suspected puppy farm which is being discovered in County Louth. Some 36 dogs in very questionable circumstances. The upshot of this is that a file is being sent to the DPP and Fiona Squibb, Inspector, with the Loud Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals joins us now. Uh, some 36 dogs discovered uh, questionable circumstances, as I mentioned. Perhaps you'd outline to us uh, the way these dogs were being kept. Uh, morning. Um, yeah, well, I was invited to come along by Garrett Shine, who is the county vet, and um, he was kind of leading the whole thing that day. Um, we found the dogs living in absolute filth. Um, there was mummies and puppies there and they were living in I, I can't really even describe the smell let alone what they were living in um, I've seen plenty of things in my time in the 17 years I've been doing the SPCA and I think probably this is one of the worst ones that I've seen Right and uh, we'll leave it to the guards and indeed the courts uh, to adjudicate on this which is why we're not going to say where this discovery was made uh, yeah. but uh, from Elaine Kyo's report in the Star today it seems as though that whilst these dogs were being kept in dire conditions uh, they're very valuable animals and will be sold for huge money Sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I know that uh, the person did have um, done deal adverts up for the pups and, and things like that. He has been doing that now for quite some time. Um, he's not not a very reputable person. He also does dog training and people are sending dogs to him to be trained. And I have to say, having seen some of the equipment that I saw the other day for the way he trains animals, I would question it. Uh, as to how they were trained. Um, It's another way of looking at the fact that people send dogs away to be trained. You really don't know Mm. what's happening to your dog when they're gone away. Uh, And the report in the paper today talks about one man whose little Labrador uh, puppy, I think, was there for three weeks. Uh, And during that time, he thought the dog was being trained, uh, but Mm. not the case. Well, we don't know whether it was being trained, but um, as I say, having seen some of the equipment that has been used, I, I would question how it was trained and mostly I would say through fear. Right, and I gather that uh, the less you spend on looking after animals, uh, the bigger the margin is when you go to sell them at €800 Euro for a German shepherd and 2000 for an adult dog. I don't know what he was charging, but um, yeah, I would say some of them were quite valuable, yeah. And all thoroughbreds, uh, French bulldog, Labradors, golden retrievers and uh, there German... no retriever there. No. Oh, OK. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, the Labrador wasn't worth a lot of money. I have to say it wasn't in a very good condition. Um, some of the German Shepherds were quite underweight. Okay. Um, some of the puppies... Well, they have a chance now because they're young enough to be brought on and given the, the proper food. Yeah. It will actually bring them on properly. What, is, what, what is their chance? Uh, they'll be rehoused, will they? Uh, they'll find. One would hope so, yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as thoroughbreds, uh, they stand a better chance, I suppose, than strays. Yeah, we, oh, well, mm. not really. I mean, our strays get 
home just the same. Okay. Thank God. Mm, okay. Uh, but do you expect a, a happy ending to it all for the Oh, yes, I do. Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay. Hope to see. Yes. But yeah. Yeah. And thankfully, all the dogs seem to be very amenable and um, were quite happy to be handled. And that was a very good thing as well, because it could have been quite the opposite. Okay, well, as we say, this is heading for the courts by the looks of things, or it may do, depending on the decision of the DPP. Uh, But we leave it there for the moment, and thank you indeed for joining us. Fiona Squibb, Inspector with the Louth Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now we'll talk about Brexit again with the British Prime Minister Theresa May surviving what was expected to be a showdown at uh, the Conservative Party's 1922 committee yesterday. It was all love and smiles, it seems, after that, uh, with MPs backing the Prime Minister now on what God knows because the border remains a serious obstacle. Uh, Brexit may be a rallying call for terrorism because of that border if it is to be reinstated. This is according to Drew Harris, uh, the Garda Commissioner, who made his first comments to the Oireachtas Justice Committee yesterday and warned about the problems that may ensue along the border north and south of this island uh, should there be a hard Brexit. Uh, Jim Wells, DUP MLA for South Down is on on the line and uh, do you believe uh, what Mr Harris is saying and how this could see a resurgence of terrorism? Well you've got to ask Mike where is that going to come from because obviously loyalist paramilitaries are not going to be remotely worried about Brexit so are we telling us are you telling us that the IRA who have decommissioned all of their weapons as they tell us are going to have a resurgence of terrorism I, I, I think we should not uh, de- deter from our aim of getting out of Europe simply because of those who might threaten or suggest there's going to be violence. It's the right thing to do and we're not going to be steered away from our course of direction. Um, I don't think it's true, to be honest. And I well, I'm sure you would think Drew Harris is a, a man of integrity and he, he wouldn't uh, say something like this unless he, he really meant it and he said he, he believed uh, that a hard border would lead to dissident Republicans uh, using it as a, a rallying call to return to violence uh, and the Taoiseach, Leo Radker, has been talking about his concerns of a return to the Troubles. Yes, and we've been warned about all sorts of major implications if we exercise our democratic right to leave Europe. If it's the right thing to do, it's the right thing to do. If a small number of dissidents decide to take the law into their own hands, we're just going to have to deal with that, though they have been remarkably silent, fortunately, over this last two years, because I believe that the security forces have a, a strong handle on um, dissidents at the minute. Um, we simply have to do the right thing. And, you know, we will not be deterred from leaving Europe simply because of Drew Harris's comments. Yeah, but uh, Drew Harris is one of your own, is he not? Well, no, not now, obviously, because Drew is now the chief constable of the Irish police force. So he no longer mm. has a role within the, the PSNI. So, and he also declared himself recently to be an Irishman. So uh, and I can understand why he did that. So, no, he's the Garda Commissioner now in a separate state. And whilst his views are helpful, they will not prevent us from exercising our right to this self-determination and independence. Because the long-term goal for Northern Ireland and the United Kingdom is something which we've all been striving for now for 50 years. Uh, do you believe him to be a, a threat uh, to British security? Through Harris? 
Yes. Well, I would never dream of saying that Drew has to be a threat to British security. Well, he's a lot of information, doesn't he? He was asked by Quivino O'Kalon, uh, Sinn Féin T, the chairman of uh, that Oireachtas Justice Committee yesterday, if he could give more information on uh, the Dublin Monaghan bombings because uh, the Irish authorities are looking for information from the PSNI. Uh, he said he'd respond in writing. Uh, perhaps uh, he'll give more information uh, than people would like north of the border. I mean, obviously, the, I remember very clearly the Monaghan Dublin uh, bombings. They were dreadful incidents where I believe the 29 totally innocent civilians were were, were, were murdered. And obviously, any information that helps uh, uh, bring those to ju- responsible justice, I mean, it was a loyalist paramilitary, uh, is to be welcomed. So I don't think there's anything, anything to fear from there being complete revelation of all the information that's helpful. But I will say this. Mm. It is a bit surprising that there's a huge and inordinate concentration on the dreadful tragedies of those two bombings. But remember, there are many, many bombings in the Northern Ireland where the, those responsible originated from the Republic. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, whilst, uh, it's understandable why the Irish authorities concentrate on, on those horrible incidents. Um, they can also in revealing information about those who sought refuge in the Republic when they bombed Northern Ireland. So there has to be some equality here. But you know, I hope that, that uh, Drew has helped solve that awful situation where so many families were totally devastated by uh, those indiscriminate no-warning bombs. But if the authorities here believe uh, that information is being denied to them for security reasons, and Drew Harris gives that information to the authorities here, obviously that would mean he's compromising British security, if he is to do that, and I'm sure that that won't be the case. But he is in an interesting position, isn't he, in his knowledge and his position, both sides of the border, and him straddling uh, the two security forces as such. Uh, I'm not sure uh, any of uh, the the incidents uh, that were carried out by the IRA was mentioned to him at that meeting yesterday. He was asked about uh, the Dublin Monaghan bombings. I'm not sure if he was asked uh, about Tom Oliver, uh, but it, it's reported that Drew Harris knows who ordered the killing of Tom Oliver in County Loud, uh, and indeed he wrote the name of that person down uh, and gave it to Judge Smithick at the Smithick Tribunal. Yes, I mean, uh, these are very important cases, but remember that for every one uh, atrocity in the Irish Republic, there was maybe 40 in Northern Ireland. And the Irish authorities equally have information on a large number of those as well. In fact, as you know, there are many extradition requests were made uh, to bring to justice those responsible for attacks in in Northern Mm -hmm. Ireland. And the Irish government for many decades refused to extradite those responsible. So there has to be responsibility on both sides. Um, I, Drew Harris is a very experienced policeman. He will mm. know how much information he can legally give the authorities in the Republic. Well, he has what's um, in his own head. And as the head yes. of the police force here, uh, we're talking about what was a murder investigation in this jurisdiction. Uh, and uh, it's the murder of a, a man by the IRA because the IRA said he was an informant, that he was informing yeah. on them to the Gardaí. Uh, and Sinn Féin don't want that investigated. Do you believe it should be investigated by the man who says he knows is responsible for it? It should be investigated, but I know that Drew Harris will follow the protocols both in Northern Ireland and the Irish Republic and what he can and cannot do. And, and I'm absolutely certain he's such an experienced policeman, mm. he will adhere to those. But I do 
resent the concentration on Italian atrocities in the Republic when really there was so much going on the other side of the border and there isn't the same enthusiasm amongst TDs for information to be provided on those murders. Uh, and remember, from somewhere like Fermanagh, 90% of the sectarian killings on, on, in Fermanagh have not been resolved. They haven't, there's been no convictions. And the vast majority of the perpetrators originated from the Republic and were never extradited. And that's an issue that TDs in the Republic must also concentrate on. It's been questioned as uh, to whether he'll bring political policing to this jurisdiction, partisan policing, because of how he ordered the arrest of Jerry Adams uh, during uh, an election campaign. It was during the European and local elections here at the time. And uh, that was in connection uh, to the abduction and killing of Jim McConville. Mm. Uh, do you believe uh, that uh, Mr. Harris uh, perhaps uh, has a, a grudge against Republicans, uh, against uh, members of the IRA or Sinn Féin? Well, <laughs> it's not difficult to have a grudge against uh, the IRA when they murdered 2,300 totally innocent people. Or your, or your father. Yeah, well, yeah, so what I'm saying is that mm. uh, Drew Harris's bitter experience of the activities of Sinn Féin and the IRA in Northern Ireland, Jerry Adams claims to have been a nothing more sinister than the Catholic Boy Scouts, I have to tell you that next to nobody in Northern Ireland, indeed the Irish Republic, believes a word of that. So therefore, Jerry Adams is not someone who's totally detached from what happened in Northern Ireland for 40 years. And should be like everybody else, he shouldn't be above the law. Drew Harris went through a very rigorous selection procedure to become the chief constable, the first Northern Ireland person to become chief constable in the Republic. And therefore, all of these issues were considered and he was appointed on merit. And obviously, we wish him well in Northern Ireland as he takes on this very difficult role. And I'm certainly not going to criticise him. Mm. Are Sinn Féin right to be worried about him? Uh, well, obviously, Drew Harris comes with vast knowledge of the activities of the Provisional IRA in Northern Ireland. Uh, and therefore, that knowledge will be helpful as we try to resolve so many of the murders and terrorist atrocities that haven't been properly dealt with. But we all know what a terribly difficult role this is because uh, whilst the security forces and the guards and the RUC and the PSI kept meticulous records, the terrorists didn't. And the reality is it's proving very difficult to bring to justice those responsible for so many atrocities, uh, both north and south. And, uh, you know, we, we, everyone should support him. Sinn Féin should be worried because he comes with a level of knowledge. And many of their members were involved in, in terrorism. I mean, they were convicted of terrorism uh, and many have not been. So therefore, they should be worried. But I have to say it's been a painfully slow and difficult process in bringing to resolution at so many of these atrocities, which I remember very clearly uh, over since 1968. Uh, just to go back to Brexit, uh, uh, and uh, like everything else, nothing is agreed until everything is agreed. Uh, Theresa May saying uh, that 95% of it has been agreed. She's been contradicted on that, but even if she was right, the 5% that hasn't been uh, agreed, it would seem, is uh, the Irish border. Do you think at this stage it's possible to find a solution that will be acceptable to everybody? Yes, the remaining 5% is the big 5%. Mm. It is a really difficult issue of the, the the border between one part of the United Kingdom and the Irish Republic, um, it's proving to be an exceptionally difficult issue to deal with. Uh, uh, but I do remain very encouraged by the fact that Theresa May would appear not be 
prepared to sacrifice the constitutional position of Northern Ireland uh, in order to get a, a smooth Brexit. That this this issue was remains difficult. The, 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 she hasn't backed down on, and there's two reasons for that. First of all, our ten MPs are totally and implacably against any change in the constitutional status of Northern Ireland post Brexit. What about and this second, idea of an indefinite backstop, though, for Northern Ireland and a, totally a, a, and a temporary backstop for the rest of the United Kingdom? Well, first of all, an indefinite backstop is totally unacceptable because that could leave Northern Ireland marooned, being still under the control of Europe while the rest of the United Kingdom goes into a, hopefully a bright new economic future uh, outside of the European Union and outside its but controls. It's indefinite unless and until, as the phrase that's being used goes, yes. uh, unless and until a solution is found. Yes, but the problem is that that could mean forever. Because as you can see how difficult this issue is, Northern Ireland could be left high and dry, subject to European legislation, control and bureaucracy, while thing in Scotland Wales uh, goes into, out into the world free to make its own trade deals and without mm. the bureaucracy and control of Europe. Would you, would you prefer a hard border? No, nobody, nobody wants a hard border. No, but would like you prefer a hard border of the two options? No, no, all of the political parties, I haven't heard a single person in Northern Ireland wanting a hard Brexit oh, no. or a hard mm-hmm. No, but would, it be, it. but would it be an unfortunate consequence, but one better than the other situation? It's, it's the worst of all the... It was, it's the least worst of all the options, but it's not an option that anybody can count, and it's for all sorts of practical and economic reasons. So therefore we have to find a resolution to this that gets Northern Ireland out of Europe on mm. exactly, can I word, say the word, exactly the same basis as the rest of the United Kingdom, but means that we can still trade easily with our colleagues in the Irish Republic. And I have to say, Mike, that is a terribly difficult ask. Well, yeah, that, <laughs> there is no answer to us, you know. Well, the answer is mm. to, to, to try and develop systems that enable trade to continue without the need for hard border. And that's yeah. why I've mentioned to you previously the trusted trader uh, concept whereby uh, a lot of the bureaucracy and a lot of the customers etc is done at source and then the products are, are exported into the Irish Republic or vice versa okay. with a minimal amount of delays at the border because no one wants that and with modern technology I think the vast majority of trade can be carried out in that way in the same sense that we have companies mm. in Northern Ireland who oh, trade well, exclusively yeah. outside the EU on that basis Well maybe that's the idea of the backstop to allow time to develop that technology yeah, but I mean, yeah. it's, it's whether the backstop is for a period of a short period of a few months or if it's indefinite I can absolutely read my lips <laughs> Mike the okay. DUP will not under any circumstances sign up to an indefinite backstop. Period. Never. Thank you indeed for joining us as always. Jim Wells, DUP, MLA for South Down. Michael Reed on LMFM. One in five of us smoke. That's a lot of smokers in the country, but less than was the case in 2015. It's 20% now compared to 23% then, or 80% fewer smoking now than was the case back in 2015. A lot of that, it appears, is due to e-cigarettes and e-smoking. One in three of us binge drink. This is all according to the Healthy Ireland Annual Survey, which was 
was published this week. And of the binge drinkers, one in five does so at least once a week. And half of all drinkers under the age of 35 binge drink men are three times more likely to drink to excess than women. We're joined by Seamus McMenamin, who's a GP based in Navin. He's also a member of the Green Party and will stand in the next election for his party in Mead West. Good morning to you, uh, Seamus, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, are, are you surprised by these statistics? No, I, I think, uh, thanks very much for having me on, Michael. Uh, I think um, no one who's working in the front line in the health service would be particularly surprised by the figures, but I, I suppose the point of doing these surveys really is to, to get information that allows the health service to plan um, w- w- what we do. And I think... You know, certainly the the message I'm getting from from this year's instalment of the survey is that the the, the public health approach um, uh, works. So if we look at you know historically in the health service, we've always we've usually been quite reactive. We've waited until there's a problem develop, and then we try and and, and you know and deal with it. But uh, the the focus on, on trying to prevention and trying to um, sort of help uh, promote health rather than just treat disease. I think the, one of the messages coming, particularly with the decline in smoking, is that that public health approach does work mm. and it does influence people. And it helps the fact that, you know, when you talk about the smoking, the decline in smoking, you know, a lot of people who smoke want to stop and want to quit and, and they want help. And I think the, the evidence is that when you, you, you provide that support for them, they, they, it does work. So mm. I think that's... 40% have tried to quit in the last 12 months, according to this survey. Yeah, well, if you if you look at you know the the kind of um, uh, when you talk to smokers, you know most of them want to quit. Most of them have tried, and you know a number of times. And a, a sort of the more positive message is that you know if you keep trying, you do uh, quit. And you know a, a, at any age, people can quit and uh, successfully do that. But most do you like the idea of people using e-cigarettes? Um, well, the the it's kind of a. a uh, an interesting question because uh, compared to smoking cigarettes, these mm. cigarettes are uh, safer. Uh, there is a, a, an unknowable uh, quantity because we don't have the data in terms of the um, what the the, the the sort of health effects of, mm. of uh, but we know that there's over a number of years, mm. so we don't have that long term data. But but we do know that there's carcinogenic tar in tobacco, mm. uh, and not the case when you vape. There is, but there, there, there are other chemicals yes. which are allowed yeah. the vaping process. So I suppose there, when, when something is new, it's very difficult for us to say, well, okay, that's safe. So if the question is, is vaping as safe as not vaping, the answer obviously is no. Is vaping safer than cigarette smoking? Yes. Well, so I think there, there is a, so, yes. a divide mm-hmm. in, among experts as to whether we should be promoting vaping uh, as a way of getting people off smoking, or is it just that they're going to substitute one for the other? Um, but I think certainly in terms of, uh, you know, as part of an overall approach, it certainly has a role. Um, and then obviously we, we have to look at some of the other ways that we can maybe help people to sm- stop smoking. And no doubt that drop is positive uh, and will lead to positive mm. health. What about uh, the alcohol? Uh, because whilst the smoking figures are most likely accurate or fairly accurate, uh, do you believe uh, that uh, the statistics on alcohol are accurate uh, or is it that people don't know what binge drinking is? Uh, because it's hard to believe that just one in five people who do drink only binge drink once a week or that uh, more than one in five don't binge drink once a week 
Yeah, again, I mean, you're, you're obviously relying on people self-reporting, and I think um, one of the issues with uh, people is that they may obviously not want to report harmful levels of drinking, and there is that a sense that they may, you know, um, under underestimate themselves. You mm. know, and, I mean, one of the if everyone recorded exactly how much they drunk every week, I think most of us would be surprised, and we probably drink more than we think we do. Um, but certainly, I think. Uh, the way that the survey was carried out, they, you know, it, it's sort of consistently underreported, maybe, so that we can sort of make some kind of judgment on it. Um, but certainly, it, it's interesting again when you look through the survey that, um, you know, the, the percentage of people who've, you know, experienced guilt as a result of their their drinking, and mm. the, the percentage of people who, um, you know, don't remember doing things so that they report that their friends and family have. Yeah, but that's um, that, that, that that's well past been drinking. I, I mean, anybody who goes to the pub tonight or any night of the week and has more than two pints is binge drinking. Three pints is considered to be binge drinking. Uh, and you'd have to assume that 80 or 90% of the people in any pub any night of the week is having at least two pints, if not more. Yeah, and I, I think probably the worrying thing for for doctors really when we look at this is that they're the visible um, drinkers and really we, we're, we're probably more concerned about the people who are, who are drinking at home because there's, you know, there, there's a, 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 there is an element of uh, supervision or uh, visibility so that if somebody is in, you know, in trouble with drinking, you know, you would mm. hope that most, you know, um, bar staff would, would respond to that. Um, but obviously, if people are drinking at home, and certainly with the um, you know the, the, the supermarkets and uh, other shops selling you know very cheap alcohol, mm-hmm. it's often the case that the people who are probably drinking excessive amounts probably are doing it at home rather than in the pub. Okay. Um, so I think that there is a obviously a concern there. I mean, Irish society is this is not a new phenomenon. We've we've been dealing with this for a long time, mm. and I think the the difficulty is that the you know the, the 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 way that you have lobby groups from industry promoting this as if alcohol is just another product, and you know we can you know discuss whether the the state should be intervening. And I think from the point of view of the health service, um, you know we spend so much money dealing with the consequences of this that we have to accept that alcohol isn't like another product. Okay. All right, um, I have to leave it there, Seamus. I'm over time, but thank you indeed for joining us right. this morning. Thank you very much indeed. Seamus McMenamin is a, a member of the Green Party. He's a, a GP based in Navan as well. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns joins us with some of the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning to you, Michael, and everybody listening in. Listening in. As you might imagine, there's a bit of response to the situation regarding the schools in Meath from concerned uh, parents and members of the public. Matthew from Ashburn got in touch and says if it's the worst case scenario and the schools have to close to allow any defects to be addressed, where will the pupils be accommodated? You cannot expect them to be out of school for a long period of time. It's a disgrace, says Matthew. Sarah says my child goes to one of the schools affected in Meath that has to be inspected. How are we to know that the schools are safe at the moment? Should the children still be in school at all? Mm, well, that's the question, I suppose. And we don't mean to worry anybody, but uh, uh, if your child is in school, I'm sure that you're asking yourself exactly that question. 
question. Uh, another caller concerned, and this listener from North Meath wonders, is the Education Minister going to be asked questions about this? Who is responsible for it? Mm. Kevin was in touch and Kevin says the fact that they don't know what's going on with the schools Uh, He feels that the children should be out of school until such time that there is definite word. He says, what if a fall, if a wall, God forbid, fell on top of a child or something else happened? Mm. It really is an unbelievable situation. I mean, as to how it could have happened uh, is beyond belief. How anybody uh, could be so remiss uh, in uh, constructing something where it's going to be occupied by people and children and so on. Or how there isn't a system of oversight or regulation or inspection that uh, doesn't prevent that sort of thing from happening is beyond belief. Another list. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I didn't want to use her name but just said Michael I'm really mad over this you send your children to school thinking that they are going to be safe now we find out that they are in schools which possibly could be unsafe this just has to be addressed straight away and we have to get to the bottom of why it happened and how it mm. could have happened. Well, we do, of course, uh, but that's uh, somewhere down the line because there's the more immediate questions. We've three schools inspected, three out of three unsafe and uh, the problems that come with trying to rehouse uh, the students but uh, multiply it by 42, up to 42 schools. What's going to happen with the thousands of children and where are they going to be taught? Charlie from Navin says, listening in to the latest debacle about the schools, is there any possibility, Michael, you might consider getting a structural engineer on the show over the coming days to explain to parents who could be worried? It's very hard to kind of understand how serious the situation may be. He believes that there could be a lot more to come. And he says, in all government projects, are they not overseen? Who would have signed off mm. on this? He says it's a very serious issue and very maddening. Yeah, you'd imagine that that would have been the case as we were saying. Exactly. 
moving on then, if I can, to your interview with uh, Jim Wells. Uh, Paul from Dunacarney rang in and he said he just gets got annoyed listening to the interview. He said the way that Jim Wells is talking. He said, you think that living here in the South, that we were Russians or from another country or from even another planet, the way he speaks about us. I find it wrong and rude. At the end of the day, we are all supposed to be neighbours. We only live down the road from one another. And he says, we are only ordinary people looking after one another, trying to get on with our lives. Everybody knows that a hard border would bring trouble. And that's from both sides. Neighbours, yes, in two different jurisdictions. Yes, everybody agrees on that. Jim Wells, uh, whatever about people listening to us this morning, would say that we're in different countries. Uh, Let's talk about homelessness now, because uh, the figures for September were released yesterday. There's a 15% increase in uh, the number of people who are homeless or in emergency accommodation that was uh, the case 12 months previously. Uh, Last month saw 136 more children in emergency accommodation and that would have been the case in August and that brings uh, the total to 3,829. Overall the number of people in uh, emergency accommodation is 9,698 just below that figure of 10,000 and that's uh, following on of course uh, from the adjustments made to the definition of people who are considered to be homeless in this country. June Tinsley, Head of Advocacy with Barnardo's Ireland, joins us. Uh, it's the worst ever, June. Uh, I don't know how many times we've said that. Uh, it seems every month that the figures are published uh, we're being told or, or, or suggesting that it's the worst ever. Uh, uh, but uh, as much as it was uh, to be expected, are you disappointed? Well, of course we're disappointed, Michael. Um, and yes, we've been talking about this for for months and years about the atrocity that is the, the housing crisis and how every month we're aghast that the figures are going up again and again and again. Um, and yes, the, the commentary that we're getting is that the governments are convinced that their policies are working. But I suppose we're, we're constantly challenging that when the proof is that Presently, there's 3,829 children who are homeless and they're living in totally unsuitable accommodation, hotels, B&Bs, family homes, often for months or in some cases years at a time, which is just so inappropriate Mm. for children. We're voting in a a referendum uh, on Friday about blasphemy, but we voted in a a referendum uh, not so long ago on children's rights. Uh, What was that about? True, that was back in 2012. And I mean, it was a significant positive development um, because it explicitly put children's rights into the Constitution. And it meant that um, in situations relating to either court cases or things like that, Mm. children's voices had to be considered and their views had to be um, heard. And in some cases that is happening. But I think in the situation of homelessness, that, that constitutional um, amendment doesn't stretch as far as kind of local authority remit. Um, and even if it did, the, the local authority are just unable to, to meet the um, the demand. And let, I think let alone the proclamation and all children being equal and all that sort of thing. I mean, at the end of the day, people will find themselves in situations, uh, some because of mental health problems or addiction problems, or they fall in bad times, or it's their own fault, uh, sometimes not, uh, in other words, but it's certainly never the fault of children. 
No, never. I mean, these children are, uh, in this situation are totally the innocent victims of a bigger structural problems. Um, and I think the housing situation is a significant social issue of, of, of our generation. Mm. And people are becoming homeless because of rents going up, because landlords are selling properties, because of personal circumstances. There are a multitude of reasons. But the solutions that are being presented are not sufficient. Uh, the, 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 the latest one actually is probably necessary, but embarrassing at the same time. Uh, I'm not sure if you've ever used Airbnb, but it it is a a wonderful thing uh, for working class people to stay in the centre of cities across the world. Uh, The type of location that would have only been available to very wealthy people who could have stayed in very expensive hotels previously. But now you can go and stay relatively cheaply in any part of the world, it seems, except Ireland, because we can't do it here because we have such a, a chronic problem with homelessness. And, and Airbnb structures have contributed to the lack of availability of more long-term housing options for families because we know... Well, it compounded a problem perhaps, uh, but it's not the case elsewhere and that's the point that I'm making. I'm saying exactly. that whilst it probably is necessary here, it speaks volumes about how we've neglected uh, the problem. Correct. And I suppose it, it speaks volumes of the fact that the government continuously relies on the private rented sector to... Um, solve this Mm. situation. The reality is Ireland needs affordable and social housing right across the country and there's just a continuous ideological reticence to build social and affordable housing on public land um, and instead continuously rely on the public, on the private rented sector um, through the provision of either HAP payments or rental accommodation schemes, those kind of initiatives for the private rented sector to be able to fill the gap and the private rented sector does play a crucial role but it's not the entire solution and I think we now know in budget 2019 the government allocated an additional 30 million um, for homeless services next year bringing a total up to 146 million that the government is willing to pay and has to pay um, on emergency homelessness services because they recognise that this situation will not remedy itself in the short term but really is that good investment for money Surely the investment needs to go into building social and affordable housing right across the spectrum so that the government ultimately end up with a suite of assets um, which can be handed down through generations. And there are plenty of options then for families who need appropriate long-term accommodation. Okay, well, the government, of course, says it has the solutions it needs. Time, time rolls on and month by month, the figures get worse. No doubt we'll be talking again next month. June, I have to leave it there for the moment, though, and thank you indeed for joining us here this morning. June Tinsley, Head of Advocacy with Bernardo's Ireland. Uh, just very quickly, we'll go back to you, Marie, if you have uh, some more comments. Yes, first, Michael, yeah. if there's one I could definitely get in. This lady rang in after the show yesterday and took time to do so. Um, she lives outside Dunlop. Um, and she just says that she was disappointed with you, Michael, during your interview with Councillor Nick Killian in re- relation to people that find themselves, maybe their house been taken off them and facing homelessness. She, she felt that you were very much on the side of the banks in the interview. And she says that she feels that at the end of the day, you have to realise that no family puts themselves intentionally in, or deliberately in that situation. And the fact that the two of them are working, that they're tax was used to bail out these banks and she says that she has worked in the property business in the past and she's come across people who have found themselves in this situation mm. through no fault 
of their own. And she says, you look at the situation in Dock at the moment with the company closing. You could have two people, a husband and wife, working in a factory and it closed down, mm. closes down and suddenly they don't have the income that they did and they suddenly find themselves in a very scary mm. situation. And she says, unless you put yourselves in that couple's shoes and understand the stress mm. that they must be under, you can't really speak about but it. But what do you do? Uh, I mean, do you uh, ignore people not paying their mortgage? Uh, do you say it's OK not to pay your mortgage this month, next month, for the year, next year, for seven years? Because we've been hearing stories of people who have not made any effort to pay anything back on their mortgage mortgage for up to seven years and somebody is paying for it uh, you know you might say that uh, if you take that sort of attitude you're supporting the banks uh, but it's not the banks who are paying for it the banks never pay for anything it's the rest of the country and the rest of the mortgage holders who end up paying for it I suppose her point was that she didn't think that there was much sympathy coming across for those who don't purposely set out to do that. Oh, no, no. Well, but, you know, uh, that's the question. Was it intentional or could it have been uh, avoided? Uh, And uh, I think uh, Councillor Killian was saying uh, that it could have been handled better over the years and that there could have been some effort to pay something back over the years. That wasn't the case. Uh, And uh, I don't think he was trying to justify the situation uh, in that sense. But what he was saying was that now they're in that situation they can't afford somewhere to rent because rents are so high and that was the issue that he was bringing to us. All right, well, we'll finish on that one, Okay, Michael. thanks for that, Marie, and thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us uh, this morning. If you'd like to add to what's being said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Marie and Maggie are taking calls now and their telephone number is 1850-715-958. Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, the doll has uh, been debating uh, a bail proposed by Fianna Fáil's Declan Brannock, which he says would clamp down on cross-border smuggling. He's on uh, the line, and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, tell us a, a little bit about uh, your sale of illicit goods bill, please. Uh, well, Michael, the first thing to say is that uh, obviously retailers against smuggling an organisation has been very, uh, who are very concerned that the retail traders just have uh, sponsored that bill and it is either trying to progress through the doll. Basically, it's to uh, deal with particularly cigarettes, illegal cigarettes, alcohol and solid fuel uh, and to, I suppose, mainly to the benefit of the legislation is not to create a punishable crime but that it would send a clear message out to people who are purchasing these illegal products and to make them aware that they are facilitating greater crime and uh, drug trafficking uh, because it's going uh, into their money, even though they're getting the the cigarettes and items like that at a lot less value or a lot less price, are feeding criminals. Mm, But uh, I think uh, the Retailers Against Smuggling Group uh, believe uh, that the upshot would be uh, that people would be punished. Uh, indeed, there is there is provision in it uh, for for an on the spot fine. But what we must remember here is that it's it, 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 first of all it's creating an awareness for people. But more importantly, the people who are buying these cigarettes, mm. the first people who, when the local shop closes down, not because, not necessarily because of the cigarettes and alcohol and fuel being purchased illegally, but when th- those shops 
and those retailers are losing massive amounts of money by people who are not going in buying the normal groceries because they're buying the other product illegally. More importantly for me, Michael, is the issue of the health of people who are buying such products. Uh, we have a situation here. Uh, people have watched, I'm sure, many television programs that show what's going on in relation to the content of these cigarettes. Uh, Labs get anything, no control over them. And indeed, the same relates to the solid fuel in relation to the smoky fuels. Most of the products that have been imported uh, across and appearing to give value for money. And we have uh, the issue of climate change and the issue of, of, of oh, yeah. our, our environment. I don't be killjoy, but I want to make sure that this whole illicit trade and smuggling uh, is at least minimised. Uh, I have instances, as, as retailers against smuggling have as well, that the value of the, the of the loss of revenue uh, for over a five-year period in relation to cigarette smuggling would equate to approximately the building of 8,500 houses, uh, social houses across this country. That is the extent, and it's only the tip of the iceberg. We could, I can hone in on the issue of the alcohol fire uh, if we have time. But the one issue uh, for a border region, indeed like my own, we all know that smuggling in the past... Uh, I described it yesterday as a form of cute tourism, sort of a, an innocuous activity mm. where people uh, and families were trying to make ends meet. But you, you, you would find people or imprison them for that matter. Uh, uh, yes, and that's not that is not uh, the message that I want to send out. The message a hundred a hundred a hundred euro uh, of a, a fine is the message that you're sending out. Yeah, it's part of, part of the prote- process yeah. uh, or, or prison. Yeah, but Michael, what I, what I, even though uh, government has said it's not workable and that the punishment doesn't fit the crime, believe it or not, I am delighted and hopefully would be further. Uh, Twelve months today. in prison, Michael. Let, let me finish. I will, if the bill gets to uh, committee stage, which I hope uh, the government will be beating on beating mm. this vote today. All I am looking for is to make sure. That the legislation yeah. is, is I, I, fair I, I, and correct. I, yeah, but I, I, I was at the market in Drogheda a couple of weeks ago, and uh, young fella came up to me. I'd say he was about eighteen, uh, and offered me two hundred cigarettes. And uh, I suppose I'd be wondering uh, if you'd fine him a hundred euro or send him to prison for twelve months, would you? Uh, no. Why is it in the bill then? I, I well. I've just said to you, there are portions of the bill that at committee stage in, in a full and proper debate. And believe so me, your, your bill is flawed, is it? I've never seen a bill go through Leinster House in my short time here that hasn't had flaws or hasn't needed adjustments. And I don't have a problem with that. Uh, I used the phrase last night, uh, doctors differ in patients' day. Mm. The reality is that the Attorney ben, General... Ben, ben, Benny Gilson wants people fined or sent to prison. And that's what he wants. That's why you're supporting uh, your bill, because yes, that's what, you're, yes, that's what yes, you put down no. in black and white. I think what Benny Gilson is effectively saying, and so am I, is that we have people who are trading in large quantities of these products uh, and using, unfortunately, those young people who are trying to make a few bob for themselves. But you have to remember mm. that at this minute in time, it is not illegal to do this activity. And if people don't see a deterrent or a worry, that they, and it may run under, a lot of this may go underground, but mm. I believe if the right people are brought into the committee uh, 
And by the way, I want to credit uh, our customs and revenue and those who are making huge effort to deal with the Ill- illegality that we well know in our county uh, is massive in terms of, of, of this uh, uh, trade. Mm. They are doing a good job. They need to be enhanced and people need to help and cooperate with them. Okay. Uh, can, can I just ask you uh, about uh, the vote on uh, the abortion legislation, uh, which carried comfortably in the Centre Committee stage now? Uh, just two of the 18 TDs opposed to it voted against. Uh, I think you were at uh, the British Irish Parliamentary Party meeting and weren't there to vote. Uh, but uh, are, are you surprised that so many TDs voted in favour of this legislation, including Shane Castles? Uh, and are you surprised that? That Anne Rabbit abstained, given the tears that she shed in the doll over this, and would you have voted against it yourself? Uh, my stance, firstly, uh, I want to say you're correct. Uh, I'm vice chair of the British Irish Parliamentary uh, uh, Association. I was in London uh, discussing uh, with those parliamentarians uh, the issue of Brexit. Uh, some people were in a position to return. My position as chair did not allow me because I was involved in the proceedings on Tuesday and obligated to be there. My, I have been exceptionally vocal in relation to my pro-life stance. I've contributed to the debate currently, uh, and I want to make it very, very clear. The people of Ireland have spoken, and, you, and I don't need to get back into that, 66% voted for, a third voted or thereabouts, uh, not to uh, repeal. The legislation that's in front of us now seeks to take effect or give effect to the result of the referendum. And irrespective of any reservations that I have about this bill and its contents, and having voted against replacing the Eighth Amendment, the result of the referendum means that the people have already supported the enactment of this bill. However, Michael, you know, I answer straight as I can give it. I personally will not support the bill, but realise that there will be a majority in this doll for the amendment to be carried. Yeah, no, and and I, I, I think that's what I, I'd have thought you'd have said. I've thought Shane Castles would have said the same. Uh, we know Peter Fitzpatrick left Fine Gael because of it and Patrick O'Bean is going to be suspended from Sinn Féin because of it. Are, are you surprised at the position that some of your colleagues have taken? Uh, no, I, I think okay. that uh, there's an, an inevitability that the numbers in the doll are going to... that this, that, that this bill is going to be carried through. I made it clear when I spoke that I didn't want to cause undue delay to the passing of this bill. But every member in the Dáil has a personal conscience on this, and my personal belief, while it wasn't supported even in my own county, I respect the view of those who believe that this is the right legislation. I personally uh, have a difficulty with it, and I hope that personal view will respect it. Okay. Uh, and, and, and at the end of the day, when I spoke on 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 the, the termination of pregnancy uh, re- regulation bill that will be passed from the doll, I made it very 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 clear that uh, I also am obligated to speak for not alone the sixty six percent who want to see this legislation passed, but I'm satisfied that there are a third of the electorate in the low coastal uh, mid area who hold the same view as I do. Uh, and ultimately, I hope the people will respect that I've done my best uh, to ensure that the will of the people uh, uh, within that constituency, and of course, there are people who say he's riding two horses, not at all. I am saying that the numbers are there, 
And if if there was a difficulty with the numbers, I I would either abstain uh, in in the circumstances which wouldn't interfere the ultimate result. But in the circumstances, uh, I have yet to decide whether I will abstain or vote no when it comes to the final passing of this legislation. Declan Brannock, thank you very much indeed for joining us here on this morning. Uh, Declan Brannock is uh, TD for Fianna Fáil in Louth. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. We'll talk about Brexit once again with Marion Harkin, who's a member of uh, the European Parliament, an independent MEP. Marion, you won't be too surprised to hear that Jim Wells was telling us earlier in the programme that there won't be a backstop for Northern Ireland, or certainly not an indefinite backstop for Northern Ireland. You're saying no backstop, no deal. Uh, and this follows comments made by Guy Verhofstadt at a, a meeting of uh, the border communities against Brexit yesterday. Yes, it does. And just to, first of all, to say, Michael, um, the importance of a group like border communities against Brexit. I mean, they're cross-community, they're cross-border, they have no political agenda, they represent farmers and business people and ordinary people who cross the border, who live on the border, who know the crucial importance that there is no hardening of that border. So yesterday, they had a number of meetings. Uh, I organised a meeting with Kiefer Hofstad, who's the uh, chief parliament negotiator. And uh, one of the things that Guy said was, he said, there's a lot of talk of 90% to 95% progress, he said, in agreement on the Brexit negotiations. And according to him, there is 0% progress if there's no solution on the Irish border. Remember, the backstop only, a backstop is something that only comes into force if everything else fails. Mm. So it's not the first option, it's the last option. And what we're now looking on is what is, is the first option. And I would be a little bit more hopeful seeing that Theresa May Not only did she survive the Conservative Party conference, she survived her meeting with backbenchers yesterday. There was talk of a heave on Monday. There was talk of a heave yesterday. And May remains. I do not think at this stage uh, that anybody else will lead the British negotiations. And I think once she gets the budget out of the way, she will finally, finally be able to sit down at the table and negotiate for her country and it's it's late in the day but it's happening and I think she wants a deal that is good for the UK and once she's in that position that she feels she can do a deal bring it back to the House of Commons and have a reasonable chance of it getting through then I think we can make progress. So what does that mean, a backstop? Because if no backstop means no deal, if there's to be a deal, I I gather uh, the opposite is true, that there will be a backstop. The the backstop is part of the deal. Uh, And the backstop is already agreed by the British government. They agreed it last December. Mm. In other words, if the trade deals that they hope to negotiate with the EU, and that will be done during the transition period. If those uh, deals, and they would be hopeful, and we're all hopeful, that they will negate the necessity 
for any hardening of the border between North and South, then uh, that, as such, is the backstop. But what what we have put in place is, if everything else fails, uh, then that backstop will be there. And the only time the backstop won't be there is if Britain crashes out with no deal whatsoever. Because, you know, if there's no deal, there's nothing. All right, but it it means effectively that Northern Ireland would remain in the Customs Union until or unless a solution can be found, indefinitely in other words. That's what it means. And I believe that uh, the deal that we will see hammered out in the next couple of weeks, hopefully by the middle of December or even the beginning of December, uh, will be where the entire UK will be part of, I won't call it the Customs Union, mm. I call it a Customs Union. But you're talking the about a, a two-tier backstop, are you? That there'll be, there'll be one for Northern Ireland, indefinite, and a temporary one for the rest of the UK. No, I, I believe the backstop cannot be temporary. A backstop is that, mm. a backstop. It's the final line of defence. It's like your goalie. You know, if you have no goalie in the net, mm. then you can expect the opposition to score the goals. So the backstop is like the goalie. They remain there to defend your goal mouth. Mm. And that's what it is. But what about the referee? Who's going to oversee this? I mean, I think the suggestion is uh, that if you've uh, an interim arrangement for about three years, perhaps they can find a solution or revisit it and crash out then. But Northern Ireland would always remain in the customs union uh, because of an indefinite backstop. And that's what Giver Hofstad said yesterday. And to me, this is the most crucial point, Michael. Mm. Ireland and the border cannot become a bargaining chip. In other words, it's sorted before we start the bargaining. Because if it's not, every single one of us knows it will become part, it'll become a bargaining chip. And we cannot, under any circumstances, have that for the border. The the people on the island of Ireland, as I have often said, Brexit will be over. We mightn't think it will, but it will. At least the acute phase of it. Mm. Michael, we have to live together. We have to work together. We have to trade. And that's what we have to concentrate on. And nobody that I have heard wants any hardening of the border. They want the situation to remain as it is. The backstop is the only legal guarantee for that. But I keep saying, it's not the first step. It's not the second. It's not even the third. It's the final, final bulwark against the border becoming a bargaining chip in Brexit because it simply cannot. Okay, there was a a, a question over how reliable the support uh, is uh, from our European partners and if uh, it might suit them to change their minds at some point in time and compromise uh, the border question. But obviously you don't believe that's uh, the case now. Well, you heard the statement the same as I did. I mean, nobody can walk back from that. Nobody. Um, And the Council and the Commission have said the same thing. And that's why people talk about the EU being inflexible. 
What did Barnier offer within the last week? He offered a customs union arrangement for the whole of the UK. I know that businesses, that agricultural interests, that anybody who's interested in trade in Northern Ireland and indeed in the UK will grab that with both hands because it means that the sheep that would normally cross the border and head for France still can. It means that the huge milk processors along the border, north and south, can continue to work in the way they do, mixing the milk from north of the border and south of the border, etc., etc., etc. Listen to business people mm. in Northern Ireland. Listen to those who do business. This isn't about any kind of breaking up the UK. This isn't about a takeover by stealth. This is about finding ways to work and live together. And that's all it's about. All right, we'll leave it there for now. Thank you, as always, Marion Harkin, Independent MEP. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Cardi in Navan continue uh, their appeal to anybody who may know the whereabouts of Elizabeth Clark to come forward with information. Elizabeth is 25 now. When she was last seen in November of 2013, she was wearing a yellow hoodie, tracksuit bottoms, and had a blue sports bag with her. I'd been speaking with her mother, Nolene. I tell you, yeah, it is. It's five years, yeah, since the last time I saw her. Um, everything was ground with myself and Elizabeth. Like, we got on Grace and all the whole lot, and I used to stay with her. You know, when she had, when she had the baby and all in, in, in Navin. And myself and the son used to go down and visit her and all, and she'd come up here, you know, to myself and the husband, and everything was great. We'd, with myself and Elizabeth, I was. Mm. And then she moved to Slane, was it? Uh, she moved to Slane when she was, what, 17? Right. Yeah, she was only 17 then at the time when she moved to Slane. Okay. And so she'd, ha- was, yeah. she, she'd had the child already at that stage, had she? No, she hadn't got Aisha at that stage. She had a, a, a Aisha in 2009. Right, okay. So she had... All right, uh, so still a, a, a very young child, obviously. Uh, Aisha is, what, now nine years she's, of age? Yeah, she's nine now, and the little lad, Benjamin, is, he's, what, well, he's seven. Right. So he is. Okay, so four and two when their mother went missing. That's right, yeah. She's missing now five years. Yeah, five years, yeah. What, what, what do you know uh, uh, about what happened to her or why she went missing? I tell you, myself and Elizabeth just had a, had a little bit of a fun nose. She wanted to do her own thing, right? Yeah. Uh, like, you know, as they get older, they say, right, I want to do my own thing. So I said, right, grand. So I didn't hear that from her. And she rang me in 2013. And just, just asked me, you all right, man? And then we just had a little bit of a fun nose over you know, over a stupid thing, mm. and I never heard from her since. Right. So, like, until then, the sister and my mother come up to talk to me and said that Elizabeth's missing. Now, she was already a year missing in 2012. Okay. And she wasn't, yeah, she wasn't reported missing. 
She was missing in 2012, but you spoke to her in 2013, was it? Yeah, I spoke to her in 2013. Okay, and do you know where she was at that stage? Uh, as far as I knew, she was li- still staying in Navan. She was still living in Navan at that stage. Right. But she'd moved to Slane in 2009 and then had moved back to Navan, was it? Yeah. Right, she okay. Did, yeah. So she was living in Navan when she went missing? Yeah, she was living in Navan, Clare Mountain State. Right, okay. I'm sure people will remember. It's uh, a while ago now, going back five years. Uh, but, yeah, uh, Jesus, it is. Hmm. Well, someone should remember something like, you know what I mean? Or six years, is it, since yeah, 2012? Six, yeah, six years, yeah. Right. Uh, and where were the children then? Uh, the children are with, with her partner and his mother and father in the house with their, gra- with their grandparents. Hmm. So that's where they are now. I, I don't see them now, so I don't. Okay. But she was missing when she spoke to you in 2013, and did she say to you that she'd left home, she'd left her children? No, she didn't say anything at all, so she didn't. Did she talk no. to you about any problems in her life? No, she was just asking. She was just saying that, uh, how, how was I? And her brother, her brother is Ricky, like, and... I said the grand and all, like... But then after that, that was it. And how long was it before that call that you had last spoken to her? That was the last call I but spoke before, to But her. before that, because obviously there was a, a period of time that you hadn't been speaking. Uh, so uh, that was 2013. Did you speak to her in 2011 or 2012? Or? I spoke to her the last time was in 20, 2010. Okay, so there was a good gap. Yeah. Right. It was, yeah. Yeah, so she'd have been pretty young then. She was only 18 then. Uh, and yeah. then then you heard from her she was about 21 or so and she'd already been missing at that stage and she didn't give you any indication as to what was going on that might have prompted this. No, she didn't. She didn't say anything at all, no. Why did, so she she call, why, why did she call you after three years? See, that's the way Elizabeth was. She was that, like that with me, like, you know what I mean? We, we'd speak and then we won't speak. Like, you know, we'd... That was her way. Yeah. You know what I mean? She had too much on her head and she was a type of person she'd get upset sometimes. Mm. You know what I mean? So I just said I'd leave it as and just say, like, you know what I mean? As we speak, uh, uh, Elizabeth is a missing person. The Gardaí are treating it as a, a missing person case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're, yeah. Ask, you're, you're asking people uh, to contact the Gardaí or Trace Ireland. Uh, they've also uh, been uh, appealing for information, haven't they? Yeah, they have, yeah. They have indeed, yeah. Okay, her photograph is in the Meath Chronicle this week, but... Uh, uh, for people who don't have uh, the paper, maybe you'd try to describe Elizabeth for us? Well, see, the last time I seen her there was when they were saying, one, one was saying that she was 18 stone, and the next one was saying she was 7 stone. You know what I mean? I, I, I can't understand how would you know if she's 18 stone and then 7 stone. Like You know what I mean? Mm. But the way I remember her, she was she was stocky. Not, you know what I mean? Not Not big. She had brown hair, lovely long brown hair. She had brown eyes. She was a lovely looking girl. 
And what do you think yourself happened to your daughter? Do you think uh, that she left home and doesn't want to be found? Or do you think that it's something more sinister? I say it is more sinister because she would never she would never keep away from, from me this time, like, you know what I mean? Without getting in touch with me. It wouldn't be my Elizabeth, like, you know what I mean? And when she did get in touch with you, she hadn't been home for a year. Did she ask you about the children or anything like that? No, no, she didn't, no. Hmm. No. And I can't understand why would she go, you know what I mean, just get up and, and just leave without the, the two kids. Hmm. You know what I mean, she she lived for the two kids. Do you think she's alive? Well, I tell you, at, at, at one stage I was, you know, as the years was going by and was gone, I... But she she must be alive out there. But then I was just thinking, well, maybe maybe she's she's gone. Like you know what I mean? But it's it's just a part of getting closure on her. Mm. You know what I mean? Just to find out if she is alive and uh, she's listening to us. Uh, what would you say to her? Well, if she was listening to me, all, all I'd like is her is is her to get in touch with me. You know what I mean? That I miss her and. My heart's broke without her, like, you know what I mean? And the husband's and her little brother. Well, he was, he's not little now, he's 21. But I do want for her to get in touch with me, you know what I mean? Just just to talk to me. OK, well... Uh, just to say that she's all right, like, you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, you'd like to know one way or another. Okay. I, I would, definitely, yeah. OK. It's, yeah, because it's like living in a limbo, like, you know what I mean? Not knowing. So it is. OK, Nolene, thank you very much indeed. All right, that's grand. Thanks very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Oh, bye. Oh, bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Nolene Beninda talking to me a little bit earlier on about her daughter, Elizabeth Clark, who has been missing for a number of years. Gardaí and Navin continue to appeal for information. If you have any you wish to pass on, it's 0469036100 that you can contact them on. That brings our programme to its conclusion today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie